Hey, thanks team. We appreciate you guys leading us in worship once again this morning. Um, we're returning to our series in the book of Acts this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me your devices. And we're going to be looking at Acts chapters 18 and 19 and um, seeing where the Apostle Paul is going to be going into um, the city of Ephesus. And so I just want to invite you to turn with me there. And we're going to be um, checking out uh, a number of things there in the book of uh, Acts and looking at Ephesus. Recently, I came home and as I walked through the door, I could hear my wife and she was on a FaceTime call with my, our daughter, which wasn't unusual at all. But then I heard two other voices, and those voices made me hustle downstairs quickly because those are our grandchildren. And as soon as I heard those voices, I got into the call, and uh, our granddaughter then looked at me and she said, Pappy, can I read one of my chapter books to you? And she's at that stage of life where she's learning to read, and, and I just, there's only one right answer to that question, will you listen to me read from my chapter book? And, and so I quickly said, yes. Sat down and listened to her as she began to read from her chapter book. Listening to her read is just such a great joy, because she's learning a life skill that's going to serve her truly for the rest of her life. And as she was reading, she was going through her, her book and um, she gets to a point when maybe she gets to a, a word that's got like three syllables. And you can just tell that she's wanting to conquer that word and, and, and maybe she struggles for a moment and so then she looks at her mom to see if she's getting the word right and, and her mom nods approvingly and so she, she conquers the word and she carries on. And listening to her just makes me so happy and so proud of her because she's learning that life skill. And I'm just so happy to hear that and, and knowing that um, it's just something that she's going to use for the rest of her life. Well, speaking of life skills, I, I was reminiscing, thinking about that as I, I thought about that and was writing this down for this message. And I thought, you know, I, I can remember as a young little boy myself that um, there was a time when I learned a life skill one summer. And my brothers taught me this life skill. Um, we rented a cottage every summer for summer holidays. And uh, my brothers taught me one, or said one day that, uh, hey, they're going to teach me how to swim. Well, they didn't say that to me. They just say, hey, do you want to go out in the boat? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my two older brothers are going to take me out in the boat. This is going to be great. So uh, we get out in the boat, and uh, we're quite a ways from shore. And all of a sudden, they said, uh, hey, you want to learn to swim? And I'm like, huh? And next thing I know, they threw me overboard. Literally, threw me overboard. And, and don't ever do this uh, if you're listening and you're younger. Uh, this is just not the way you teach somebody how to swim. No life vest, no nothing. Uh, they just threw me overboard. And um, I'm flailing away and, and uh, I'm in way over my head. And, and every so often when I would uh, uh, start to sink, uh, they would just reach down as I'm below water and they'd grab my swimming trunks and pull me back up again. And um, I'd be spitting water and stuff and they would just yell, Swim! And, and so I would do my best and, and would be flailing away. And, and uh, as I started to sink again, they would grab my trunks and pull me back up again. And, and they would yell, swim again. And that was my, um, my lesson today on, on how to learn how to swim. Well, you know, we all have those moments when we learn life skills. Those things that are going to serve us for the rest of our lives because those are, are good things. Now, it's a wonder if 
that happened nowadays, people would be calling 911 and my brothers would probably get pulled over and, and it's a wonder I don't have to go for counseling on how to uh, overcome that moment in my life. But that was a whole different era back then and that's just how things took place. Well, today we're going to encounter some people in these two chapters. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 18 and 19 as we get back into our series in the book of Acts. They're going to learn life skills from a spiritual standpoint. They're going to realize that, that the journey of following Jesus in this process of being a disciple is a journey. It's a process and a journey, not a destination while we're still here on earth. Our destination obviously ultimately is heaven that we want to get to, but while we're here on earth, it's a journey of going through a process to become more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, if we look at chapters 18 and 19, we're going to encounter several different people, and their names I'll just give them to you right now in these chapters are Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, this guy named Apollos, who's really interesting, another guy named Tyrannus, and then there's this, these guys named Seven Sons of Sceva, Demetrius, who we may touch upon briefly, and finally this character or figure named the great goddess of Artemis who plays a key role in chapter 19. There are several different locations that Paul gets to, but really we want to key in on in these chapters uh, is uh, the place called Ephesus. So let's start at chapter um, 18, and we're going to look at um, verses 18, uh, chapter 18, verses 24 to 28, where we key in on those three characters that I mentioned, uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. So we find this meeting that takes place. In chapter 18, we look at verse 24, and it says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Remember, I said that was the key place that we're going to look at in these two chapters. And he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. And we hear that, the thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, we're going to be talking about Old Testament, because obviously the New Testament at this point in time has not even begun to be written at this point, all right? And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So, I look at this idea from insights, okay? So, so we're going to put those in our pocket, and there's three different insights that I want us to see. So insight number one is this, that there's always more to learn. Insight number one, and that's in these first few verses. The city of Ephesus was an amazing place. And at the time of the Apostle Paul, Ephesus was a port city, so it was important from a trading standpoint. The population, scholars tell us, was around 250,000 people, so significantly large at that point in time. They also say that it was the intellectual center of Asia. They say that it boasted one of the three largest libraries of the ancient world. And when you walked down the main street of Ephesus, you could not help but notice the temple of the goddess Artemis. All right, remember we mentioned that in the introduction. And the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had a theater, which has been excavated. 
and it seated 25,000 people. And so if you were to go to Turkey today, you could visit that theater. You can go to Ephesus and see that theater itself. So in John, if we go to the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, the last book of uh, the Bible today, and, and read Revelation, you see that John wrote to the seven churches, and the first church that he mentions is the church of Ephesus, which probably denotes its importance. And so clearly, when Paul visited here, he wasn't going to some rural outpost, but rather to this important city of some note. He and his friends are going to go and visit, and that's uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And so when we look at, we back it up from verse 24 to verse 19, and we note, and it says there, that they, that's Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, and he himself went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. That was Paul's normal way of doing things. He would address the Jewish audience in a city, and then he would move on to the Gentiles from there. And Ephesus was no different. That's the way in which Paul did things. He went to the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. Paul's normal way of doing things. So Priscilla and Aquila, let's kind of get them how things go. They meet this fellow, Apollos, it tells us in verses 24 through 28. So let's understand a few things about all three of these characters. Apollos was a Gentile. Priscilla and Aquila, they were Jews. They were tent makers. That was their job. That's how they earned a living. They were married. Paulus was a single fellow. Single, but highly educated. He came from Rome, or they came from Rome, which is the capital of the empire. Well, he came from Alexandria in Egypt, which was the academic center. So we're just kind of putting pieces of the puzzle all together to get an understanding of these three as their, as their, their, their paths all meet in this place called Ephesus. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Aquila and Priscilla were co-workers with Paul. And we know that Paul lived with them in Corinth. And in Romans chapter 16, verse 4, it tells us that Paul says that they had risked their lives for Paul. Well, how? Well, we don't know for sure, but we just know that Paul knows this couple well. So let's pick things up in Acts chapter 18, verse 24b and verse 25. Well, what would we find there? Well, there are several things that we learn about Apollos in these verses that are important. A, it tells us in these verses that he had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. Look in your, in your Bibles there. B, it says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. C, it says that he spoke with great fervor. And D, it says that he taught about Jesus accurately. So remember, when it says that he had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, we're talking about Old Testament, Right? Old Testament. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. C, that he spoke with great fervor. And D, he taught about Jesus accurately. So these are all good things. And as good as all of that goes, though, it goes on to say that he knew only the baptism of John. Now, scholars don't all agree here, but the truth is that Apollos was lacking in some areas of his knowledge about Jesus. So what happened? Well, look at verses 26 through 28. In Acts chapter 18, verse 26, what do we read? It says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their house, to their home, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. A teachable heart is a beautiful thing. So here are these two, Priscilla and Aquila, and their average educated co-workers with Paul, who hear this exceptional orator 
who doesn't quite have all the information yet. He's a brilliant man, we know that, who obviously loves the Lord, we know that, but he needs to have some more information to help clarify his teaching ministry, and they are just the people to help him. I love how John Stott puts it in his commentary. And I quote, Their ministry was timely and discreet. I love how Stott puts that. Timely and discreet. In other words, they didn't publicly debate with Apollos, trying to embarrass him or prove him wrong. What they do is they take him aside and they instruct him, they teach him. And so there's something within Apollos that their teaching resonates with him, and he accepts it, and good things go on. Because what happens is that we read, as we further go on reading further, in verse 27, it says, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him, and he arrives while good things continue to happen in Apollos' life. There's always something more to learn, is the first insight that I want to share with you. And when we walk with Christ, we need to have that open and willing heart to say, I want to be teached. I want to be taught. I want to be teachable. I want to learn. Is that the resonant? Is that the thing about your heart? Is that the thing about my heart? Is my heart saying, hey, I just want to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what a disciple of Jesus says. I want to have a heart that's ready to learn and grow. Insight number two. The path that we are called to will not always be easy. Look in chapter 19, as Paul now returns to Ephesus. Remember he left? Well, now he comes back. And Apollos leaves at this point in time. He goes to Corinth, and then we see that Paul took the road, it says, through the interior, and he arrives at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And we're going to go through and discover more about this, but I just want to get some basics here. Paul finds some disciples, and he begins teaching them, but I just want to give you some basic ideas about how Paul does things here. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on Acts, points out that Paul taught and ministered to five different groups groups of people. First, we'll see here that the disciples of John in verses 3 and 4, that's number one group. Secondly, he ministered to Jewish people because he went and he spoke at the synagogue. Remember, that was Paul's normal way of doing things. That's in verse 8. Thirdly, he goes and he ministers to Gentiles. We're going to see that in verse 9. Fourthly, Boyce points out that um, Paul ministered to those caught up in the cult of Artemis. And then lastly, of the five groups, we see that he ministers to the business class. And that's found in verse, in the end, near the end of chapter 19. So Boyce points out that there's five different groups of people that Paul ministers to. So he's not afraid to reach out and minister to different kinds of people. So Paul arrives back in Ephesus after Apollos and the others have left. He finds these disciples and he discovers that they, don't, that they simply don't know who Jesus is clearly. And he discovers that uh, he wants to reach out to them. And so the one, the one John the Baptist was pointing to has come, he tells them, and he explains what they need to know. And the good news is that they believe. Once again, we can see here what? We see that there's this process. They've heard about John the Baptist. They've believed in him. They know that John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus. And what happens is that Paul comes and says, hey, Jesus has come. And so they believe. It's an important observation here for us to grasp. Paul met people where they were at. That's all they knew was that John the Baptist had been pointing to Jesus. And then Paul comes and says, hey, Jesus has come. Here's what I want us to know. In any church, at any point in time, 
We have people who are at different points in their spiritual journey. And you know what? That's just fine. So that's why we have life groups of different kinds in our different points of the year. Because we want people to understand that there's different journeys. There's different people at different points in their journey. And we want to be able to minister to them no matter where they are in their journey. And so that's why we offer Alpha. Understanding that there may be people who don't maybe quite fully understand who Jesus is. And that's what Alpha does. It clarifies the, uh, the, the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And so uh, we'll say, hey, we're going to have an Alpha uh, group. And we invite people to join Alpha and to clearly understand that they can check out the Christian faith and be part of Alpha. We have other times when we uh, have uh, um, our life groups with uh, different places in the spiritual journey. There may be some who say, I, I just want to go into the, the deeper things of the Christian faith. Great. We want to give you that opportunity to dive into that. It's because we know that this process is a journey of walking with Jesus, and wherever you're at in that journey, we want to offer you the opportunity to be part of a group in that process. Paul moves on in this next audience, the Jews in the synagogue. And we see that for three months, it says in verse 8, he teaches in the synagogue. Well, finally he gets to a point where they don't want to have him there any longer. In verse 9 it says, he makes it clear that Paul had to move on. They tell him to stop. They don't want to have anything more to do with him. He gets into some difficulties. Makes it clear. Sometimes the road that we're walking, it just gets rough. It gets tough. The path of making disciples isn't always a smooth and easy road. We're not promised an easy life when we start following Jesus. We don't need a deep knowledge of the New Testament to know that Paul did not have an easy life as a follower of Jesus. If you want to see the physical challenges that Paul had, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 23 and following, and you can see all of the physical challenges that Paul went through. But here, let me walk us just with through in the book of, uh, in, or in Ephesus, to see the discipling that people, uh, that Paul did while he was supporting himself. I know that sometimes we may think that, well, it's a bit much, perhaps, you think that, hey, I, I've got to support myself, I, I've got to take care of my family, and yet you still want me to be involved in, in different things here at the church? Yeah, actually, we, I do. But let's see what Paul did here in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 after he encountered the opposition in verse 9. Look what it says. Acts chapter 19, verse 9, we read these words. It says then, verse 10, Then for, this went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So, we read back in verse uh, 9, But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe, and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them, he took the disciples with him, and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years left the synagogue, went to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and scholars tend to agree, now listen to this, that he used the lecture hall during the middle part of the day to teach. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on Acts, says this. Now listen, and I quote, This was the hot time of the day when presumably the hall was not being used by Tyrannus. Five hours a day adds up to a lot of teaching. Paul would have taught five hours a day, seven days, or at least six days a week if he took time off for the different kinds of work on Sunday 
in two years, that adds up to 15 to 1,800 hours of teaching, more solid teaching than most seminarians receive in a three-year academic program preparing them for the pastorate. Wow. Continue the quote. In chapter 20, where Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says he supported himself while he was in Ephesus. This must mean that in the morning, when other people were working, Paul was working at his tents. He was a tent maker as well as Priscilla and Aquila. Then at 11 o'clock, when others knocked off for lunch and a rest, he went to the hall of Tyrannus and began to lecture. End of quote. Look at verse 10. It says this continued on for two years. So Paul stayed in Ephesus for two solid years doing this teaching at this hall where he did it every single day. He worked making tents in the morning, then he taught in the afternoon. Another commentator, F.F. Bruce, said this, but Paul, after speaking, or after spending the early hours of the day at his tent making, devoted the hours of burden in the heat to his more important and more exhausting business and must have infected his hearers with his own energy and zeal so that they were willing to sacrifice their siesta for the sake of listening to Paul. They would come in the middle of the day when most people were resting and they wanted to listen to Paul. He made tents in the morning and he made disciples in the middle of the afternoon. What a great way to look at their lives. Paul had to earn a living, yes, but then he also wanted to make the living of making disciples. I wonder, yeah, we have to make a living too. We do. We have to provide for our families. It's true. We have to make sure that they're being provided for. However, when we look at the bigger picture of saying, okay, God, I want to make sure that my life counts in the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. I want to make sure that my purpose here on earth is for sure what you've called me to do from your kingdom standpoint. I want to be sure that, that people who don't know Jesus get to hear about Jesus and I want you to be using my life for that big purpose. So help me to be involved in your purposes of, of pointing people to Jesus, of, of helping people discover who Jesus is, of, of helping them to have a deeper walk with Jesus. And that might happen at the workplace that I'm, I'm part of. That might happen in my, my hobby time or my sports time in the things that I love to do. That might happen in my neighborhood. But the key is I don't want to lose focus. That's why I started with this idea that the path that we are called to may not always be easy. Paul started in the synagogue as he usually did, but then he faced opposition, as we read in verse 9. So he got permission to teach in the hall of Tyrannus. But it was in the middle of the day. And that doesn't ever stop Paul, though. He's always looking for that other way, that other angle. And so he works at tent making in the morning because he's not going to be a burden. And then he lectures in the hall from what scholars believe would be 11 to 4 for two years. And it takes work to make disciples. Not always easy. But it was the same Paul who wrote in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live as Christ. Writing from prison, Paul could rejoice because Christ was being proclaimed. His circumstances were secondary to what was happening. And what was happening was that people were hearing about Jesus Christ. You could say that it was sacred ground for Paul. That prison area was sacred ground for Paul. 
I recently read about another man who was who considered this area where he was to be sacred ground as well. What do I mean? Well, listen to what I read, and let me just quote from this, this book. Before the release of the feature film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, I saw a behind-the-scenes interview with Joanne Rogers, Fred Rogers' wife of 50 years. Mr. Rogers modeled kindness and compassion to many generations of children, including mine. Over 31 seasons, he filmed 895 episodes and wrote more than 289 songs. His way with children was unprecedented, unparalleled. How did Mr. Rogers have such a profound impact on so many? According to Joanne, Fred believed to the depth of his soul that the space between the television and the children watching it was holy ground. That explains a lot, doesn't it? That was his it factor, his X factor. What is your holy ground? I wondered about that. And maybe you have to, if you're not the same age or a few years younger than me, you have to Google who Mr. Rogers is. But he has such a profound impact on so many children uh, with his show that he, he, he had for so many years. But he had this idea that that space between the TV set and himself was, was a holy ground because he treasured and valued what he was doing with children. And so I thought, well, what is my holy ground? And, and let me just let you in on a secret about my life in this point and stage of where I'm at in my journey in this process of making disciples. You see, I just so firmly believe that the next generation in the sense of uh, young men in their 20s and 30s, they're so important to me at this stage of my life that, that I want them to see how important this person named Jesus is, is that I, I want to invest as much of my time in my life that I'll spend time with them as they ask me because I want them to see that there is no one greater than Jesus. That that time that I can be with them is, is what I refer to as my holy ground. That I, I, I'll spend time with them and, because I want them to know there's no one greater, there's no one better, there's no better time that they can spend than being with Jesus. That they can't chase after any bigger dream than the dream of spending time with Jesus. There, there's nothing better in their life than Jesus. They, they can't find any greater dream than the dream that Jesus can plant in their life to chase after than following Jesus. That's my holy ground to invest in their lives. I treasure that. That's my holy ground. Will you and I take stock of our own situations for a moment today and ask, regardless of our circumstances, are people hearing about Jesus? You see, Paul had a life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. It was Paul who wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he said, But whatever was, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, Paul had discovered Jesus. Have you discovered Jesus? Have you had that life-changing encounter 
with Jesus Christ. Let's move on to the last insight as we conclude today. Insight number three is be careful of false teachers. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. And please note the wording in, in verse 11. Paul encounters these false teachers. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons who had been touched by him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews, though, who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Like I said, notice the wording. It says that God did miracles through Paul, and the word spread because of the spectacular nature of what was happening. So in verse 13, we notice in following that the Jews tried to invoke or use the name of Jesus while driving out demons. And they're quickly defeated. One commentator said this, when they tried to use the more powerful name in their exorcisms, Sceva's sons found that they were dealing with realities far beyond their ability to cope. The demon they were trying to exorcise turned violently on them and they fled out of the house naked and bleeding in the name of Jesus like an unfamiliar weapon misused, exploded in their hands. And they were taught a lesson about the danger of using the name of Jesus in their dabbling in the supernatural, end of quote. Now, look at verses 17 through to 20. The same commentator goes on to say this, and I quote, News of what happened spread quickly throughout Ephesus. Negatively, they learned not to misuse the name of Jesus or treat it lightly, for it is a powerful name. Positively, many Christians renounced their secret acts of magic and several magicians were converted, end of quote. You don't have to search very far today to find people dabbling in supernatural matters. Some are doing just that. They're dabbling. Others are honestly searching, actually. Looking for something. Well, here's the truth. Be careful. Jesus is the answer. But there are lots of false teachers out there. So pastorally, I say to you today, be careful. Again, this is the reason why we started at the youngest possible age here at Summit Drive Church, to teach the Word of God. We take it and we teach it. Why? Because it's a journey, this disciple-making process. Paul knew it well, and he would meet people wherever they were at and instruct them in the truth of the Word of God. I'm reading a book right now with a small group of Christian leaders across Western Canada. We meet every Thursday via Zoom to discuss our findings. I'm not a big fan of Zoom meetings. 
Um, but it keeps me connected to these guys, and it's good for me. The book we're reading is called Win the Day by pastor and author Mark Batterson. Recently, I read these words. Listen, and I'll quote. We each take about 23,000 breaths every day, which means we owe God 23,000 thank yous. By the way, some Hebrew scholars believe that the name of God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, without the vowels, is the sound of breath. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? On one hand, his name is too sacred to pronounce. On the other hand, it's whispered with every breath we take. It's our first word, our last word, and every word in between. End of quote. As we close, I want you to just breathe. As you breathe, think about the gift God has given you today. The gift of life. Because as you breathe, Yahweh, it's the gift of life. Paul knew what he was doing with his life. He was sharing Christ. He was so committed that people would get to hear about who Jesus Christ is. He wanted to make disciples. And maybe today it's time for you and I to do a little self-inventory. So just breathe with me. Thank God for the gift of your life. And I'll thank him for the gift of mine. And then let's recommit to the process of pointing people to Jesus. Praying for people to find Jesus. And asking Jesus how we can be involved in that process. And if you don't know what that means, then then please contact us. We as pastors will, will be committed to helping you to be part of that journey. That's our commitment to you. We'll meet you wherever you're at. That's our promise to you. And and if you're interested in, I've got a book here that I've mentioned before and would be only too glad to to help you. Um, And and if you want to pick one of these up, I've got six copies left. It's called Four Chair Discipling. And if you one of these six copies, if you're one of the first six to come and meet me uh, here at my office, um, I'll give it to you on one condition that you, after you read it, that you give it to someone else and have them read it, and maybe you can get together with them, and the two of you can talk about what it means to share the good news of Jesus and make more disciples. Because it's a journey, it's a process, it's not a destination, and it's exciting. It's the greatest thing we can be doing with our lives. Let's pray, and the band's going to come up then and, and lead us in a closing song. But let's pray as we do that. Heavenly Father, We thank you for what you have um, said to us today and we ask you to seal these truths to our hearts, to our lives and continue to speak to us and we will give you our praise, our honor and we'll give you the glory and ask you to continue to speak to us and, and seal these truths to our lives and we'll continue to wrestle with what you've got for us 
in the days ahead and uh, look forward to what you want us to learn from you as we look ahead and um, think through what your word had to say to us today. And we thank you for speaking to us this morning. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.